Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. An article from April 2019 tells us about a very high concern that people had last year around that time concerning Earth Day. This article is entitled, A Look at How People Around the World View Climate Change. My question for you today is, do you believe in global warming? This article here talks about these different things, and it says that in the country of Greece, 90% of the population that they were surveyed believe that climate change or global warming was a major concern. And 4% said it was not a major concern. In the nation of Israel, out of the several surveyed countries here, the lowest, the nation of Israel said 38% said it was a major concern and 18% said it was not. But it's interesting, the median is 68% of the world's population believes that climate change is a major concern. The United States of America, 59% said it was major, 23% said it was minor, and 16% said it was not a threat. I say all that to say this. I'm not here to try to convince you or not to convince you in global warming or climate change, but I am here to tell you that if you are going to be a Bible believer, you have to believe in a future climate change. In fact, the, if you got your Bibles there, you're welcome to turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible tells us that, that God is going to bring judgment to this world in the near future. And that in time past, God judged this world through the flood. And we know that God gave a promise to Noah and the descendants. We are part of that descendants. And that, that a flood would never destroy this world again. And he set a bow in the cloud called a rainbow to remind us of that promise each and every time it rains. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says that there's going to be scoffers in the last day saying, where is the promise of his coming? Because the Bible teaches that Jesus is coming again and these scoffers or mockers are going to come in the last days leading up to the days right before Jesus coming and saying, well, we've been saying Jesus is coming all these years, but where is his presence? And in the midst of that chapter, we read about how these scoffers will scoff and then that the Bible says that this earth is going to burn up with a fervent heat. So do I believe in global warming? Yes, I believe in global warming. And it's coming to a world such as this world that we live in. But I want you to know that in this chapter, we see that it begins to refer to a new world to come. And the revelator John mentions in this in Revelation chapter 21 how this world will cease to exist and a new world will be created in a sense. In Revelation 21, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And this chapter begins a discussion on that. But today I want to share with you three words. That as we look at these few verses here in this discussion about angelic beings... 
I believe that we also look into man's destiny. And so three words I want to share with you as the title of my sermon today. Decisions determine destiny. Decisions determine destiny. Would you say that with me? Decisions determine destiny. The key statement I have for you if you want to walk away with anything is this thought. The decisions you make will determine your destiny. So what is man's destiny? I believe this passage opens up the lenses, opens up the, the, the book so that we can see what God's destiny was for man and what man chose for his own destiny. The first thought I have for you is we, as I was meditating in these verses, I wrote down this. Man's destiny, as it currently states, right now, man's destiny is separation from God and needs his direction. Man's destiny is separation from God and needs his direction. I believe that as we're reading these few verses in Hebrews, I believe that the, the writer of Hebrews has in mind Psalm 8, and we're going to get to that in a few minutes, but I also want you to know that as he's writing this out, I believe that he has in mind creation back in Genesis chapter number 1, and it talks about how God created the world, and God created man in his own image, a triune being, uh, Father, Son, Spirit, we have a body, soul, and spirit, a triune being, and then here the Bible talks about how that, that that God placed man in the garden and God gave man dominion. But man chose to sin. In fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says that as one man sinned into the world and as the result of that man's sin, the Bible says death entered. And so death and sin has passed upon all of us. We have inherited a sin nature. We have inherited death. That is, we are literally, as soon as we come out of the womb, we, in a sense, are born to one day die. I wrote down this. Man is, contaminated, man is a contaminated sinner who needs a consecrated Savior. So because of our sin, because Adam and Eve chose to partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that we are all sinners now. All have sinned and come short of God's glory. I wrote down this also, man's nature is not just a contaminated sinner, but man's nature is to run as far away from God and as fast as he possibly can from God. That is our nature. We are completely, totally consumed with sin. All of us. I stand here today as an ordained Baptist preacher, but I even though I'm an ordained Baptist preacher, have been contaminated by sin. You there, as a Baptist member of this church, you are also contaminated by sin. And any other denomination or any other flavor, size, or shape of Christianity is contaminated by sin. Everybody, non-Christian, Christian themselves, is contaminated by sin. I, I, I love this, this story by Robert Robinson. He wrote a hymn in your hymnal called Come Thou Found. And Robert was just a small boy when his father passed away in the 18th century, that is the 1700s in England. There was a little in the way of a social welfare system and this meant that he had to go to work while still very young. Without a father to guide and steady him, Robert fell into bad company. One day, his gang of rowdies harassed a drunken gypsy, 
pouring liquor into her. They demanded she tell their fortunes for free. Pointing her finger at Robert, she told him he would live to see his children and grandchildren. This struck a tender spot in his heart. He said, if I'm going to live to see my children and grandchildren, he thought, I'll have to change my way of living. I can't keep on living like I am now. Robert decided to go hear a Methodist preacher by the name of George Whitfield. To cover his weak urge, he suggested that, that the boys go with him and heckle the gathering. Whitfield, he recalls, preached from the passage in Matthew chapter 3 where it says, Old generation of vipers who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Robert left in complete absolute dread. Under the deep sense of conviction of the Holy Spirit about his sin that lasted three years. He finally came to peace with God at the age of 20. And he immediately set out to become a Methodist preacher himself after the influence of George Whitfield. Two years later, in 1757, he wrote a hymn which expressed his joy of his new faith. And one of the verses says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. As we think of a man like Robin Robertson back in the 1700s, I want you to know this, that man has always drifted away from God. Man has always wanted to run away from God. That's why this culture that we're living in today, they're pushing back the word of God and trying to run from it. But I submit to you today that, that God runs faster than us. And God is running after you and me. And he wants a personal relationship with him. And so right now, man's destiny is separation from God and needs his direction. We need the directive hand of God in our lives to guide us back to a personal relationship with Jesus. As we move forward in this passage, as we begin to look at verses 5 through 8, I wrote down this thought. Not only man's destiny is separation from God and needs his direction, but I wrote down this. And by the way, if you're here today or maybe listening online and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is that day. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and so we could live with him for all eternity. I wrote down secondly, though, as we read the next few verses here. Man's destiny was to have dominion over God's creation. Man's destiny was to have dominion over God's creation. You go back to the book of Genesis and you begin to read about how God gave Adam dominion over the fish, over the fowls, over the, over the cattle, over the animals. But I want you to know also that God's original intent of that creation was to have a kingdom on this earth. And the day that Adam and Eve chose to partake in the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that plan was put, in a sense, on Paul's. And so I believe that the writer of Hebrews in this section has in his mind also the book of Genesis, but also the millennial kingdom. About how God is going to establish and reign here, and man will finally have that dominion that he had planned for him to have. But right now, this world is no longer, in a sense, completely dominated, I say that for lack of a better term, by mankind. Sure, we still have dominion over animals, 
But right now, this world is in complete dominion by angelic beings. By the ones that are underneath the hand of God and underneath his leadership, but also by the one who is called Lucifer. Look at verse number five. It says, for unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come. You see, this world that we're living on right now is underneath the control, if you will, by angelic beings. The Bible tells us that, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Who has dominion of the world today? The Bible talks about Satan does. The Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 that he is the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And that is demonic forces in our world today. John's gospel chapter 12 and verse 31 speaks about this. In John's gospel chapter 14 verse 30 speaks about this. And in, fa in fact, in Daniel chapter 10, Brother Joe was talking about it in Sunday school about how, how Michael the archangel came and helped another angel over the, the area of Persia many years ago during the days of Daniel. Was warring against it and assisted. So who has dominion over the world today? Well, half and half angelic beings and demonic spirits or Satan. The commentators begin to speak about this. So it asks, I ask myself this question. If angelic beings and or Satan has dominion over this world, how many angels are there? How many demons are there? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, and in Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, it speaks about how there is an innumerable number of angelic beings. That there's so many out there that the stars in the galaxies, the stars in the universe cannot number the amount of angelic beings. In fact, I believe that there's enough angelic beings so that every person that has ever lived or ever will live could have, in a sense, a guardian angel assigned to them. In Psalm 91, we read about how God has given his angels charge over us to protect us. And so maybe God has given an angel over you to protect you throughout the course of your life. Or maybe God just gives us, uh, angels a season of protection over your life. But at some point, you're going to have angelic beings protecting you in your life. So that, that also brings me to this question, that if there's an untold amount of angelic beings, how many de demons are there in this world? Well, if, if we understand Revelation chapter 12, verse 4 correctly, Satan in his revolt against the authority of God led a third of those angelic beings out of the presence of God, and now they're ruling and reigning here on this earth. Some are in chains right now, the book of Peter talks about, but some are still active about today, as we read about in the Gospels in the New Testament. So how many are there? An untold amount. If there's a, enough angelic beings to oversee us and to help us, and I believe there's enough demonic spirits to study our lives and to realize that we have weaknesses and they will attack at the most vulnerable moments in our life. If a vulnerable moment for you is being really tired in, in the evenings or in the early mornings, that's when these demons and Satan's going to prowl on you and attack you. That's why it's urgent that we have a sober mind and we live serious lives sold out for Jesus Christ. How many angels are there? So many we can't count. How many demons are there? So many we can't count. Who has dominion of this world? Well, angelic beings and also Satan and his demons. But then also I ask myself this question. When did Satan fall from heaven? When did he? In Genesis chapter number 1, the very last verse, verse 31, 
It says that when God looked out at his whole creation on day six, he said everything was very good. If God saw his entire creation from, from the heaven of heavens, where God's throne is, to outer space and into the sky here and to the lives that he gave to Adam and Eve, if he looked at it all and said it was very good, I submit to you, I don't think that Satan could have fell before then. So at some point between Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, all the way to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, where the Bible says that the serpent was more subtle than all the beasts of the field, somewhere between then is when Satan fell. So if somebody stands up and says they know exactly when Satan fell, it's all speculation. But we know that between those verses, or at least that's what I've come to understand, is when he fell. And he is actively working today. He is actively influencing cultures and worlds today, but God is still sovereign and still has power over him. And so what what the devil does for his evil, God can turn his evil into good. And that is where we believe that God is still sovereign in the midst of this crazy catastrophe of this world. Look at verse verse number five. It speaks about the world to come. And and I simply just think that this is referring to the millennial kingdom. And yes, Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish his millennial reign. And the millennial kingdom is not really for you or me, although as a Christian we'll be ruling and reigning with him. The millennial kingdom and the tribulational period is a time when God is going to fulfill the promises that have yet been fulfilled to the nation of Israel. But then verse number 6, 7 and 8 is a direct quotation from Psalm number 8. And it says literally verbatim just about, it says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the Son of Man that thou visitest. Now, there is a little hot debate about these verses here. Some commentators are going to say that this is speaking about Jesus. Some are going to say it's speaking about mankind. And then some are going to say that it's maybe speaking about both. Now, we can dive into that some other time. But here, it begins to speak about what is man. Or, in a sense, what is mankind that thou art mindful of him or the Son of Man. Because the reason why sometimes people believe the Son of Man is because in the Gospel of Luke, it presents him as the Son of Man. But then in the Old Testament, like the book of Ezekiel, it speaks about how the Son of Man is just mankind in general. But then it says in verse number 7, Thou madest him a little lower than angels, not that we are less important, but less in the rank, if you will. That those are the spiritual beings, the, the supernatural world, if you will, in a sense. And we live in a natural world. We were the ones created in God's image, not them. The gospel was given to us, not necessarily to them. He goes on to say that man is crowned with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. The idea that man in his original created state was to have dominion over this complete world. Verse number 8, it says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Man's destiny was to have dominion over God's creation. Man's destiny as it is right now is separation from God and needs his direction. But now I want to share with you from verse number nine, probably the, really the key verse to kind of unpack everything and, and reveals to us what, what psalm, the psalmist is speaking of in Psalm number eight. I wrote on this, third thought today. Man's destiny can be restored by Christ and requires a decision. Man's destiny can be restored by Christ and requires a decision. So in, in the garden, man chose You see, God didn't create robots. God gave us, he's sovereign, he has the foreknowledge, knows everything that's going to happen in your life, the decisions you're going to make, he knows the end from the beginning. But he allows us 
the power of choice. And in the garden, man chose rebellion against God. And man has chosen that ever since. And without the Holy Spirit actively reaching out to us, I believe none of us would cry out to God in salvation. And God's Spirit is drawing mankind. The Bible says if Jesus be lifted up, He would draw all men to Himself. And He is drawing. He is. Verse number 9. Which, by the way, I think it's interesting. So far in chapter 1 and chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews has quoted the Old Testament. But he never specifically quoted who exactly said it. And as we look at the book of Hebrews... The book of Hebrews never specifically says who the human pimen is. So I think the emphasis of the book of Hebrews is this. The Old Testament, Zalther, is God himself. And this book, Hebrews, the author is God himself. So when you open up the canon, whether it's in the book of Leviticus or the book of Hebrews or the book of Matthew, the book of Numbers, anywhere you open it up, God is the author. And here it says, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. God allowed the second person of the Godhead to come and be made in a lower state of angelic beings so that he could go to the cross and die for our sins. Look, he goes on to say, for the suffering of death. And it says, crowned with glory. Jesus is crowned so much with splendor and glory. And here, honor. He's the only one that deserves honor, all honor. He's the only one that deserves all glory. And then it says that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, this is a verse that's been highly debated, more debated than any of the other verses that we've talked about. And sometimes this is a passage of Scripture that is overlooked in churches overlooked by pastors, and avoided because of how challenging it may be to understand how it fits here in this section of Scripture and how it fits in the overarching theme of God's scheme of redemption. But real fast, here I believe that the writer of Hebrews is pointing back to say that, hey, in a sense, the psalmist David was writing about mankind, but, but in the midst of that group of mankind that's created, there's going to be one who's going to be made... Right here, the Bible says in verse number 4, chapter 1, made so much better than angels. He, he came into the world born of a virgin, and he is the one that the psalmist, in a sense, is speaking of how he would die on the cross. But then, it's this question. Is the atonement of Christ limited or unlimited? As we read this passage, the Bible says that he tasted death for every man. So my question is, is, is the atonement that Jesus did on the cross, his blood, is, it, is the extent of that atonement unlimited or limited? And that's what's been highly debated for centuries. And my thoughts today is not going to really solve the issue, but I want to let you know on this, that, that the atonement of Jesus Christ, I like to word it this way. Jesus paid the penalty for sin and salvation is open to all men. 
Jesus paid the penalty for sin, and salvation is open to all men. Unlimited atonement, the extreme says that universalism, that every person who ever lived or ever will live will spend eternity with God in heaven. The Bible says otherwise. The Bible does not teach universalism, that everybody's going to go to heaven. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. But then the idea of limited atonement, as some theologians have ascribed it. Is the atonement limited? Well, it all, I guess, it really depends on how you define that term. But if you believe that the atonement is limited to only a group of people that God has chosen to go to heaven, then I think that that, that is not true theologically. And the reason why is because the Bible says here that Jesus tasted death for every man. That's every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever lived or ever will live. In fact, John's gospel, the very simple verse, reveals this truth. It says, for God so loved the world, that's everybody, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Doesn't matter what country you're born, what nationality you are, it doesn't matter any of that. It matters just calling out to him for salvation. In Romans chapter 10, it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's anybody. In 2 Corinthians, it speaks about how he died for all men. And then here's the kicker. Here's one of the reasons why I just cannot hold to what's called limited atonement. And it says, 1 John chapter 2 says that Jesus was the propitiation. That means that when he died on the cross, it appeased the wrath of God. He was our substitution. That he was the propitiation not just for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here it says he tasted death for every single man. So man's destiny can be restored by Christ and requires a decision. Now, I want you to know this. You could understand every point of Arminianism, all the five points of Arminianism and all five points of Calvinism. You can understand it to a T, everything, and go to every verse. But if you fail to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you haven't made a decision. You could understand every single thing. You can learn so much about the Bible, but if you don't apply this book to your life, you're not what James said, a doer of the word. James says, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. He said, if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're, you're, you're like a man who's beholding himself in a mirror. My question for you is as we look at this passage, Where do you fit in the destiny that God has given man? Are you right now in a complete state of lostness and in need of salvation? Or are you beginning to prepare for the next phase of God's calendar, that is, of ruling and reigning with Him here on this earth? You know, we're told that Robert Robertson wrote that hymn, Come Thou Found. Not exactly sure if this next part of the story is affirmed, but I've heard and read that he was riding on a train. And he, this is after he got saved and received the call to become a pastor. And he was on a train and there was a lady near him who was reading poetry. And, and he at that time was in a backslidden state. He was running far from God. And she was reading a poem, and the poem happened to be the song that he wrote. 
And they say that after he heard her read that poem to himself, he began to pray and ask God to forgive him. And he went back and wrote another verse about prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Maybe you're here today and you're wandering and drifting through your life. God has a destiny and a plan for you. And he wants you to be part of that plan. Decisions determine destiny. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.